his social life. It's the Darren Show. The Darren Show. Don't ask if he's single. You already know. Cause it's the Darren Show. A simple name for a simple guy with a simple face. It's the Darren Show. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Darren Show. Big Brother 20 just ended last night, so I'm back. We're start gonna gonna kick kick it off right away. Get, you know, get on the ground running here uh, for the Terran Show. We've been gone for a little while, but the Terran Show it will never die un- unless unless I die. Oh my! Uh, <laughs> but we are here. Um, uh, and, and I'm back and, uh, I've got a really, really great guest with me, uh, this week. So I hope you guys enjoy this one. I hope you guys, uh, I hope you've missed me. I feel like some of you have, but I don't know. I didn't hear, I didn't hear from that many people. Just saying. Uh, but this week I have Amon with me. Amon who has been doing a, a wonderful job with me on the morning updates for Big Brother 20. He has uh, he is a fantastic Twitter presence. Uh, he makes some great videos. Uh, he was a part of the So You Think You Can podcast competition and uh, and many, many other things. Amon, how are you doing? I am great. I'm really excited to be here. Uh, big fan of RHAP, as all of you know. Big fan of the Terrence show. Um, kind of surprised that I've been asked to to come along and and gab. I never. I feel like I haven't really uh, had that interesting of a life. But <laughs> <laughs> but I, I I'm excited to to come and and let you guys know a bit of my story. It's it's cool. I mean, everybody likes to talk about themselves, right? So I'm no different. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, look, look, not everybody is a Brent, and uh, you know. I think that's understandable. That's true. That's very true. <laughs> um, I, yeah, I, I, I honestly, I, I always find that there's, uh, you know, it, it doesn't really matter what your story is. That there's always something that, uh, there's always something that interesting that somebody brings to each conversation that I have with them. Uh, just you know, because I, I do feel like everybody has something valuable to contribute to. Uh, just whatever you know any conversation at large so uh it's my do- it's my job to to try and bring that out of, of people i guess yeah and I, I second that i remember i uh i listened to um oh no oh my goodness he's oh i feel so bad i can't remember his name who's part of the so what you think what so what so you think you can podcast comp with me uh john john oh my goodness i don't know why i can't remember his name um i listened to his episode and i was like i was very engrossed very enthralled um because there were so many parallels uh, between some of our experiences. So I, I agree. I think that there is definitely something that um, anyone can can hopefully offer someone else, whether it be um, solace or solidarity or a new perspective. So if I can be that, um, be that person for someone else today, then I'll be more than happy. So thank you once again for asking me to come on the show. I'm very excited. Of course, of course. So uh, Aman, wh- where did you come from? Wh- wh- what is the origin story of Aman? <laughs> All right. Well, I was made in China. No, I uh, <laughs> was born in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, the great steel city, Super Bowl champions of the world. Don't come at me because I really don't care about the football. It's just a fun fact that I threw out there. Um, but yeah, I was I was born in 1994. Uh I was born with a twin sister. I was the first one born. I'm older. Ooh. 12 minutes. Uh, so my sister was the one that prolonged my mother's agony for an additional <laughs> 12 minutes. Um, so I was the favorite right off the bat. No, she doesn't have any favorites. But um, yeah, uh, born and raised in Pittsburgh. Uh, 
it was a very, very cool experience to grow up with an automatic best friend, I guess you can say, because, mm. you know, we sort of went through everything at the same time. Um, I remember for the most part growing up in like preschool and elementary school, we were always uh, kept together in class. Um, so it was uh, very interesting to sort of always be compared to somebody else from even a young age. But um, I never really thought too much about it until I got a little older. But um, I remember, I think it was fifth grade that my parents, and I didn't find out about this until I was like in college or maybe after I was out of, out of college and I had this conversation with my parents. But it was around fifth grade that my parents decided to split us up in, in our classes. Actually, it was my dad first. He had noticed, I don't remember much of this happening, but whatever, <laughs> I'll take his word for it. He had noticed that I would... I was copying a lot of my sister's work. Um, and he's, she, he was telling my mom, he was like, her name was Lee. She was like, Lee, like, Amon, he's not growing on his own. He's literally, I, I watch them when they do their homework. He copies everything that she says or, or he does or she, that she does. And we have to separate them. My mom was very much against it. She thought that, um, she didn't want us to split up. She thought that we were stronger together, that we that we taught each other, that it was a good experience for us to always be together. Um, and so she kind of fought against it. But uh, eventually, I guess my dad was able to get her to swing around to it because in fifth grade, that was the first year that the two of us were split up. And it was kind of, it was. I remember feeling a little weird about it because it was the first time. But um, I, mean, I mean, you don't really pay too much attention to it as a kid, so... I, I I just kind of just went went with the punches, and I always I, I'm still kind of resentful about the fact that my dad felt like I wasn't learning enough on my own because of the fact that um, I'm not sure if any of you all or t- even you, Taryn, have like this thing in your curriculum or in your school districts growing up where there was like this accelerated program was kind of, it was known as the gifted program in Pittsburgh, mm-hmm. and they would give you this test um, yeah. if the teachers. <laughs> thought that you were just a quicker learner than the rest of the students, it would give you this test to test your IQ. And if you, I guess, got a certain score, then they would put you in the program. And they gave the test to both me and Imani, and our, um, that's my sister's name, Imani. They gave them both, they gave us both the test in the first grade. I passed it, or I got a high enough score, you really can't fail the test. Um, mm. And she didn't. And so I was put in the gifted program before, like an entire year before she was, because she got it in the second grade. So I was always like, you really thought that I wasn't learning? Like, I clearly, like, I clearly could think on my own, but I still, you know, you know, I, whatever parents think is best, I guess that's, that's what's best. So I, it is mm. what it is. <laughs> yeah. I, I smell, I smell a bit, bitter jury, juror sy- syndrome here. Like, <laughs> he's coming up with excuses to, to separate you two that weren't the real ones. You need to get to the bottom of this. Yeah. Like, I, I was like, I, I I mean, I, I do remember one time, specifically, <laughs> I do remember one time, we were in the living room, and uh, we were doing, I think it was, uh, maybe with math, math was never my strongest, strongest subject, as I'm sure that relates to a lot of people, it was never my strongest subject, um, and I remember we were in the living room, and we are doing our homework on the floor, and there was this, like, this big, like, coffee table ottoman type deal that was in the middle of the room that was separating us, and I remember not knowing how to do any of the things that were on that sheet. And I felt so stupid. 
And so I would pretend that I was going to the bathroom and really I was just getting up to see what Imani was writing down. And then I would memorize it, go upstairs, come down to the bathroom and then come back downstairs and then write it down. That was the one thing I always did have was a good, good memory. That's why I think I would do so well in Big Brother and Survivor because I think that I have something close to a photographic memory. I wouldn't say photographic, but I think that I have a very, very good memory. So. Yeah, pl- pl- please do not go on the show and say you have a photograph. <laughs> no, I, I could never say that. I could never say that. But I am good at, like, surveying a, a display and being, and, like, memorizing, like, at least, like, the the big things from whatever that display is. So, mm. yeah, uh, I, I feel like uh, I feel like having a really good memory is, is a key to uh, to those to, to schooling in general. <laughs> that was my experience. Yeah, it, it really is like it, and I think that a lot of people, I, I've been a part of this conversation a lot before, and a lot of people go through their schooling thinking that, you know, they're not, if they don't get something right away, then that there's something wrong with them. And um, that's just simply not the case. Like, yeah, maybe if you don't understand a concept um, as quickly as someone else sitting next to you, it's going to make you feel a certain type of way. Um, but all that means is that you just have to work harder and yeah that can be frustrating because you're sitting here studying for three hours whereas um sally shitter over here is like studying for one hour and she's getting it and she's getting straight a's like that can be really frustrating but that doesn't mean that you can't get those straight a's either you know imani was getting straight a's all the time like in elementary school all the time i always had i was littered it was like somebody took like a little bunch of like bees in their hand and blew them on their report card. It was just littered with bees. Um, <laughs> uh, so I, I always did feel a little certain type of way. I was like, because like in, on one hand, like the gifted program, quote unquote, is telling me, oh, you, you're smarter. You know what I mean? Like giving mm. me like a bit of a superiority complex. But my grades never really reflected that. And I didn't understand why. And I think a, a lot of that has to do with, you know, sometimes sometimes intelligent people aren't always the best students. And that yeah. just means that you have to apply yourself. And even if somebody tells you that you're intelligent, don't just take that for what it is and be like, okay, well, that means I don't have to study. Yeah, no, bitch, you still have to study. <laughs> you can be as intelligent as you want to be, but you still have to put the work in and get the results that you want. And I, I learned that a lot growing up. Um, into middle school and into high school. High school, freshman year of high school was the first time I ever got straight A's. I got straight A's in my life twice. It was uh, third and fourth semester of my freshman year of high school and never again. But it was a lot, it was a lot of work. And I remember feeling so good about myself because it was like, I didn't understand a lot of the things that I was learning all the time, but I worked for those A's and I, oh, it was such a, my mom cried and everything. Like she was like, I've never seen this before from you. And for it to come from you in high school, like, uh, I mean, I, that was like one of the best feelings in the world. I, I, I loved when I did that for myself, wish I could do it again, but whatever. <laughs> Um, so, so tell me, tell me more about, uh, are you, I, are we, do you, do you look a lot like, uh, your twin or is it, is it not that kind of uh deal? I, I posted a couple pictures on Twitter, um, a little bit to kind of gauge cause I've, I'm always interested in this response from people. When I was growing up, I was like, hands down, I would look a lot like my sister. I think that we do. I, I see it. I don't know why people say that we don't look alike. I'll get offended when people say that we don't look alike. Um, but I definitely, growing older, I definitely think that, yeah, there's some, there's some key differences. I mean, for one, she's, I mean, she's my twin, but biologically speaking, fraternal twins are like biologically identical to any other 
set of non-identical siblings. I know that just that wording was kind of messy. Mm-hmm. Basically, you're still you're you have the same amount of DNA similarities with someone an older or younger si- sibling, even if it's a fraternal twin. So um, I definitely think that we don't look as alike as we get older. Um, I think my sister looks a lot more like. Um, our dad's sister, our aunts, and I look more like a blend of my mom and my dad. There's like this running joke that my aunt is actually my sister's mother. Um, but yeah, uh, I, I think that we, I think that we favor one another, but I definitely understand why people think that we don't look alike. So, uh, I mean, what is the experience of, because it's, I feel like it's such a different, you know, um, like there, there's one thing where there's, you know, you can grow up as an only child versus growing up with siblings. And that's pretty different in terms of like your childhood experience, but to have somebody that is exactly your age that you, uh, are able to experience everything with growing up, as you, you said, it's like an automatic best friend. It's like by default, like I get to have like essentially a partner in life for, mm-hmm. uh, for at least your childhood until you do eventually, uh, split apart if you if you ever did in any meaningful way um like what is what is that like like what did that mean to you as a kid um it was it was great i uh it 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 definitely it got harder as we grew older and like i said i mean we spent a lot of time together even in school until fifth grade um so all through that time elementary school it was it was cool i mean we got into our fights i mean every siblings you know all they all siblings fight um, but yeah, it, it was, I felt like, um, I was never, I was never alone. I was mm-hmm. never, I was never really bored at home because there was always someone there to talk to. There was always someone there to play with, um, uh, always someone to watch TV with. There was always like every birthday was like, it was a celebration of us, you know, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? Like I didn't feel, and not to say that birthdays make someone feel lonely, but I just feel like there's a difference between having a day be all about you versus having a day be all about you and someone else. Um, so it was, it, it always felt like we were like a, a team. Um, growing up, middle school is when, that's when the big divergence happens. Uh, Imani is a lot, she's a social butterfly. And prior to popular belief, <laughs> if anybody is like, what are you, like, what are you about to say? I am... I am shy. I am reserved. I am, uh, I mean, it's gotten a lot better as I've gotten older and I've come into my, come out of my shell. But back then, y'all, like, I was, I was quiet. I was, you know, I was laid back. Imani made all of the friends. All throughout six, I mean, it was so scary going to middle school, uh, with her because, like, for the first, like, all throughout sixth grade and seventh grade, I was known as Imani's brother. I did not have my own name. I, I, I bullshit you not. Like, when people would see me in the hall, they would be like, oh, that's Imani's brother. Imani did cheerleading. Imani, like, did this. Like, she did that. She, was, she had a bunch of friends. She had everything. I was... All I really did was just, like... I, I had some friends. I had a core group of nerdy people that I hung out with. Um, but the main thing that I found for myself in those years was, was theater. And Imani, the first year, she did it with me. So it was still kind of like, okay, we're still sort of in this together. But after a while, um, she started to go off and get more interested in cheerleading inside and outside of school and other dance routines and all sorts of other things. And so then we kind of 
sort of to form our own camps. Um, and, you know, as a boy, as in as a girl, you're starting to go through changes at that time. And there are a lot, there are different changes. So that probably made a shift apart a lot too, because I didn't necessarily understand what she was going through and she couldn't necessarily understand what I was going through. Um, so it got, it got harder because, um, that's also when I started to perform a little better in school than she did. I remember feeling like a sense of guilt because a piece of me and I'm just, a piece of me is like, uh, I feel, I feel so guilty even saying this now. A piece of me always felt, like a, a like a small bit of vindication because for years and years and years she was the better student and I was the one that kind of felt like I was lesser than and then when I started to do a little bit better it was like oh I've never felt this way before and so like I don't want to say that I took pleasure in the fact that she it's and not to say that she was failing she was never fa- not, neither of us failed we're still very smart children but I I did enjoy not being the one that was seen as the the lesser student that made me feel pretty good. And I remember there were times where like, um, she never, she never really asked me for help, but I remember there were times where I'm like, I'm on, you should, you should help her. Like after school, go help her with this concept, go help her with this homework. But because she never asked me, I just took it as an easy way out of never doing it. Um, so, and it, that kind of led into high school too. And it was, especially when I was starting to get those straight A's, I was just like, oh my goodness, like, this is so cool. Like I can actually be a good student. And I don't know, I guess I just didn't want it to be taken away from me in a way, which is so mm-hmm. stupid, but um, yeah, it, it, it was what it was. Yeah. Well, it, like, why do you think it was that your personalities diverged so much? Uh, like, yeah, I mean, obviously, you know, uh, you're growing up together, you have many of the same experiences. Uh, do you think it was just something natural in uh in in who you intrinsically are or or do you think it was you know uh like what what do you think it was that that sort of separated you and and put you on different paths in that way uh it was a lot of things um imani has always been uh she's she just she relates to people very well um and i think that i could have too i just think that i had so much insecurity with myself um as we grew older uh i was I mean, and it's it's hard growing up um, as an African-American male, especially um, going to school with predominantly other African-Americans. A lot of people are like, well, shouldn't you feel a lot better, you know, being around people that are like you? And yeah, that's that's, that's very true. But Imani was always able to uh, make more friends with other black kids than I was. I, I think I was just so reserved. My, uh, my interests weren't ever the, you know, the stereotypical interest that you would think black things, black kids would be interested in. I wasn't into sports. Oh my God. My mom tried to make me do football for so long. It just, oh my God. I remember being tackled by the entire team during one, one practice and like standing in like the middle of like everybody looking down on me and like I'm crying in the back of my hood like my back of my helmet is filling up with tears because I'm crying and everybody's like laughing at me oh my god sports were never never my thing um so there was that um and I always felt like I I felt like after a while since I couldn't make those friends with other black kids I just felt like I that it just wasn't worth it like if they weren't gonna like if I was gonna continually get teased for not necessarily caring about the clothes that I wore or not necessarily caring about being a cool 
you know, black kid. Like, I know that sounds kind of crazy, but that's how I felt. Like, if that if I wasn't going to be accepted by other black kids, then I was just going to go to go with people that accepted me for who I was. Um, not to say that I didn't make any black friends. Of course I did. Um, but a lot of my friends in middle school were white. And I think that that also was a huge reason as to why there was such a divide. I remember having conversations with Imani where Imani would be like, Iman, like, you could just be so much, like, you could be so much cooler if you, like, related to black culture. And I remember, I remember being, like, in sixth grade, being like, Imani, what the hell are you talking about? What is black <laughs> culture? And, like, granted, now I understand exactly what she was saying. Um, and I have so much more pride in who I am as a person. And uh, I, I understand where she was coming from. But back then, I was like, I, like, like that, sound, that sounds so stupid to me. It sounds like you're trying to make me into something that I'm not. Um, but I think that was one of the main, main reasons as to why there was such a huge, huge divergence. And I don't, and I don't think that I'm the, the only person to, only black kid to feel that way. So, yeah, it was rough. I mean, yeah. So it sounds like, like how, like how aware were you of that uh, at the time versus, I mean, you talked about a little bit about like how you sort of now you have a greater appreciation for what she was saying to you, but like, were you aware at the time? Did you, uh, like when you had more white friends than black friends, was that something that you thought about or did it just seem natural to you? Not at first, because those were the, those were definitely people that I gravitated to, um, towards more and I don't necessarily think in my mind I wasn't thinking it's because they're white I didn't I didn't think about that um I didn't really think about it until it was made apparent by other people and I know that might sound a little uh you know like I'm not like I'm not aware or I'm you know I, but I I I honestly it just it wasn't something that I thought about until I felt pressure to mm-hmm. be as black as I could be, you know? And I was like, I don't know why I have to do that because I'm black. Like, I'm going to wake up. I'm black from the day I was born to the day I die. I'm going to be black. Like, that's it. Like, I don't know why I have to continuously feel validated in that experience. And I think what Imani was getting at was that you should, I think that in her mind, in a lot of other children's mind, to to have, to be prideful in that was to, you know, hang and have that solidarity with other black children because of the fact, you know, you know the historical implications of the society and all, and all that. Like, I think that in, in that watered down point of view of a sixth grade mind, that was what it meant to have black mm. pride. And I didn't necessarily understand that because I was always, I was never afraid of being black. I was never ashamed of it. I just didn't relate to a lot of the kids. And that was, and that was fine in my mind, but it wasn't fine in hers and it wasn't fine in a lot of other and a lot of other, a lot of the other kids, and I, I hated that because I just felt like I was, I just felt like I was a freak. It was, it sucked, but I didn't, for the most part, I didn't let it um, stop me from forging relationships. And um, as you know, like I said before, I still have, I still had plenty of of black friends. Um, it just, it was something that I was made aware of all the time, and it took a while for me to to grow out of that and accept myself for who I was. Yeah. So, so how did, how has that evolved over, over the course of time as you, you've grown up, like your relationship to, uh, you know, h- how you perceive yourself and, and who you're interacting with and all that? Definitely towards high school was when it really, it, I really, that's when I broke out and I, uh, 
there was um, in my high school. We, long story short, I was supposed to go to this place called Shenley High School. There was like this big conspiracy theory with the with the uh, with the uh, school district, and that they were going to close the school. They claimed it was because of asbestos, but really, we knew that they wanted to sell it to UPMC for money for the uh, for the school district. That ended up happening. So we ended up the ninth grade class that was supposed to go to Shenley all ended up staying in the basement of the middle school that I had just graduated from. So Oof. it was like it was, it was. Oh my god, it was such. I felt like I was not getting the high school experience that I wanted. That school became six through nine, and then from then on, the middle school just kept adding on a grade. So it became six through ten, six through eleven, six through twelve, and we were always the oldest group. Um, eventually, we moved into a new building. Um, to accommodate the now 6 through 12 school. And we became, I think it was like the second school in the nation to name our school after Obama. It was really cool. So I was the first uh, graduating class of Obama Academy of International Studies. We were in IB school. But all that to say that the school, Shenley and Obama sort of melded together. And Shenley was, had a big, big, big musical theater program. Critically acclaimed. Um, we had this thing that was like kind of like the Tony Awards, but for high school musical theater in the Pittsburgh greater regional area. Um, it was called the Gene Kelly Awards. Uh, Shenley had been known for winning like 40 Gene Kelly Awards over like decades. Um, always won for best musical. Like it was, it was a, it was a great program to be in and I was dying to be a part of it. Um, couldn't do it in ninth grade because my grades went up to par. My mom would put me on punishment the minute I got a C. On punishment. On punishment until you are able to come back the next report card um, cycle and get nothing but A's and B's, which is part of the reason why I got straight A's um, in the third and fourth quarter. Uh, came back sophomore year, and that was like my main goal. I was like, I have to be a part of this. I love to perform. I love singing. It, this is like, this is, this is, this is what I want to do. This is like the first time that I found like a passion, and that really helps me branch out. Um, I found other kids that liked the same things that I did. Um, and it was great because I was, I was, I was good and I got leads. Um, and I even had the fortune one year of being the musical director, like, uh, being in control of uh, helping them learn the music. And we got nominated for best ensemble at the Gene Kelly Awards that year, the year that I helped the ensemble learn all the music in the show. So I was like, this is, oh my God, like, this is what people talk about when they say that this is what they were meant to do. Um, I'm even getting a little emotional talking about it now because I just remember that feeling of like, oh, wow, like, I found a purpose. But it, yeah. it's, um, it, that's what really helped me uh, branch out and kind of just like be like, I'm on, like, there are so many people that, appreciate you for for who that for who you are and you should own that like no matter no matter who your friends are just own own the fact that you are Iman and that's it and um um Imani was not present for a lot of that like this is like this is like the peak time where Imani and I spent less and less time together musical took up a lot of my time there were three hour rehearsals every day after school didn't get home until like around 8 30 every day um and yeah, so uh, it was kind of like that thing back in the elementary school where I was like, this is, this, this is a thing that I have now. This is mine. Um, and I think that growing up separate from her for a bit really helped me to, to come into my own and realize that I don't necessarily have to have her validation or anybody else's. I just need it for myself. And um, I think that in my relationship with other black children, 
I was like, look, like if you, if y'all, like if you like me and I like you, then that's it is what it is. And that's and it went, once I was able to understand that for myself, oh man, I felt so much better, and I was able to just make friends with anybody because I was just I was being as honest as possible. Yeah. So, well, so uh, you know, how much of like I, I'm interested, you know, growing up with with a, a twin, being so close with her for so long, uh, did you ever? like yearn for your own separate identity before you got it? Or was it the kind of thing where like it kind of naturally happened? And once you got it, you were like, Oh, this is actually pretty nice. I didn't, I didn't start feeling it until people started calling me Moni's brother. That's when I was (laughs) like, okay, like, my name's Amon. Um, so I didn't start feeling it until then. And then definitely in high school, when I was able to find a, a group of people that was separate from Imani, that's when I was like, oh, yeah, this is great. This is what Imani's been experiencing for, like, ever. Like, this is great. Like, I, I love this. Um, so, I, yeah, I, de- I didn't yearn for anything until people forced me to yearn. Because, like, I, at any other point, I was like, yeah, Imani's my sister. Like, we're a team. That's, it is what it is. Like, yeah. Um, yeah. And that's, like, even like even down to our birthdays. Like, we were we celebrated most of our birthdays together. Um because our mom wanted that for us. But even for our birthdays, like around elementary school, that's when we sort of, we kind of started to, it, you know, we had our own little groups of friends that would celebrate for us. Um, <laughs> I always feel bad because there was this one girl, her name, I forget her name, um, but she had the same birthday that Imani and I had. And all throughout high school, people would always be like, oh my God, happy birthday, Imani and Imani. <laughs> they would forget about this girl's birthday every time. And I felt so bad because... <laughs> poor girl because they would like calm down and like have like cake and everything for Imani and like all these balloons during lunch and this girl would just be sitting there like okay y'all because <laughs> Imani, Imani and her has like mutual friends too which made it even worse so I'm like really like y'all gonna do all this for Imani and then nothing for her like whoo man I felt, I felt her pain because I was like yes there goes Imani again overshadowing somebody else <laughs> <laughs> Do you know, do you know if your sister uh, had similar, like, do you think that she ever felt like she wanted her own separate identity or because she was the more like sort of uh, uh, outward facing uh, twin that she, she felt fine in that, in that sort of uh, situation? We actually talked about it um, this, maybe at the end of last year. It's a very eye-opening conversation. Um, she told me that she really, really, really wanted to do musical as well. She wanted to, but she knew, based off my behavior, that that was something that was mine and that she wanted to back off and let me have that. And I didn't know that. I honestly thought that she wasn't as interested in it as, as I was. And she was like, I just said to myself, like, well, if that's going to be his thing, then I'm going to put my all into being a cheerleader. And I mean, she did. And she became cheerleading captain during high school. Um and that was her thing. And she, she won homecoming queen as well. Like, like that was like, that was her thing. Um, and I was, I, I felt a little bad when she told me that because I remember Miss McCrell, she was the, um, the theater teacher and the director for the musicals. And we had a bit of a reputation, Imani and I, cause we did musical in middle school too. And she, we had a bit of a reputation of being like, you know, this dynamic duo. And she was really excited for us to come and join the high school theater program. Um, so she was, I remember feeling a little bad about that because I was like, wow, we, like, imagine if we had both been in this experience together. Imagine the kind of work um, that we could have, you know, done together. Imagine how much closer now we would have been. Not to say that we're not close, but we certainly aren't as close as we could be. 
just just imagine just like how much time we kind of wasted because we were so busy on trying to make each other feel good. But at the same time, I, I appreciate her for doing that because I, like I said, like, I feel like I've, I've, I found myself on that stage and I'm not sure I would have been as open um, to finding myself because I felt like I probably would have felt overshadowed by Imani again. So I appreciate her for doing that, but I would hope that in the future that, I mean, it's, it's harder now because we live such separate lives, but I would hope that there, if there's anything that she wants to go after that I would also want to go after, I would hope that we would do it together and not feel like we have to step back. Cause like, I mean, she's the closest thing that I have on this earth, you know? So like, I, I would never want her to feel like she, um, can't do something with me. Cause I mean, we're, you know, after everything is said and done, like, I mean, we have a younger sister, Layla. She was born 13 years after us. We love her to death. But my mom always said, like, I'm on, like, when you and, or I mean, when me and my father and your father are gone, like, you have Imani. You have Layla. You have your siblings. That's it. Like, so you have to take care of one another. And I'm, I'm learning that as we get older. I'm, I'm really trying to, to hold on to that. Yeah. Um, what, what was it, do you think that, that drew you to the, the theater? Um, you know, it, it, it sort of like called to you, you felt like this is what you were meant to do, but do, do you know, like what drew you to it in the first place? Why do you think that suits your personality so well? Uh, I think it's like that cliche answer that you hear a lot of actors say, but it really rings true. Like, I don't know, I don't know how else to, to articulate it. It's, and I think a lot of the reason, a part of it is because of the fact that I was so shy and I was so withdrawn. But to go out on that stage and you feel those lights on your face and then you're able to just live in the world of somebody else. Um, and that applause, that laughter, um, that shock, being able to really just be in control of someone else's emotions for a short period of time. Oh, it's just, there's nothing like it. It just, and I, I love telling stories. I'm a, I'm a big narrative person. I love to, 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 to capture people's minds um, and take them through a journey. I love that. Um, and it was so, it was so fun. And I love music so much. I spent time in, in college, you know, being a part of an acapella group, arranging music for acapella. I mean, my sister and I, um, spent years learning the piano. So music has always been such a huge part of my life. And I never thought myself much of a singer until I started doing musicals and people were like, I'm on, you can sing. And I was like, Oh my God, like this is, this is amazing. Like <laughs> I, I've, I've never felt a, like the way that I feel about anything else when I'm on stage. It just, it just, it, I don't know, man. It's just like, it's, it's what it's it's what I want to do. It's 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 a it's a it's it's a part of me. It just it feels right. It feels and and I and I feel the least the least selfish in that field. If that makes sense, like I feel like when I watch other people perform, like there's like this there's there's this big stigma in like performing and show business that everybody's like very vapid and in it for themselves. And I never felt that way doing it. Of course you want the lead. You're always going to want the big parts. Of course you're going to feel sad when you don't get them. But when I watch other artists sing their hearts out or act their hearts out on stage, I'm like, damn, like, I want that for myself too. And I applaud that person. I never felt, I never coveted anybody else's talent. I was like, I've always been inspired by it. It's like, I want to watch you. I'm inspired by you. I want that for myself. I want to work so that I can be 
if not as good, better than that person. Because I want this craft. It means so much to me that I want to work for 100% excellence. So I think that's another right, reason why I loved it so much. Is because like I never felt like I was competing with anybody. I always felt like this was something that I could take for myself and build from the ground up. And oh man, it's been it's been it's been every experience that I've had with theater has been amazing, amazing. I loved it so much and still do. Yeah, I, I think there is something you know, and maybe maybe it's this that we both had experience in in the arts, um, uh, and so like maybe that maybe it's a similar experience with with other such things. But like I, I felt like for me, you know, being in the the chamber choir for high school, like that was one of the moments for me where I felt uh, like I was able to feel like like hey i'm i'm really good at something and like that really helped me come out of the shell that i was in in some ways um and uh and i i think i had a similar experience where it's like uh you know now i'm part of this group and we're all working toward a collective goal and i'm really appreciative of all of the other talents that that are, are around me and like literally supporting me as i as i sing and um like uh i, I there's there was something I know for myself that was like that's that was one of the most important parts of you know growing up for me and in, in one of the, in terms of becoming who I am today um and uh it sounds like you you had a similar experience with it and and uh I'm just uh I'm I'm glad that that those that those opportunities exist for uh for kids because um I think it's uh it, it can be very important. I did not know that you sing as well, Taryn. What? Yeah, no no theater, just just singing. What? You should sing something right now. Right now. <laughs> well, here's the thing. I was a bass, and basses, they don't usually sing by themselves. Oh, that's true. Yeah. I feel that Lots pain. Lots of backup. Yeah. I feel that pain. Oh, my God. All the, all the parts, all the good parts in a lot of musical theater are tenors, and I'm like, I can't mm. sing that high. Oh, my God. Yeah. I had, when I went to, when I first got to, um, to college, I went to Drexel University, and like one of the first things that I did was audition for the musical, because it was going to be in the fall that year. And I don't know if there's any musical theater geeks that are listening to this podcast, but you might be familiar with the musical, the 25th annual Putnam County Spelling Bee. Miss McCrell, the director in middle in high school, she loved that musical. And for the years, she had contemplated doing it. It's a very small cast, which is why she decided against it, because we were always known for big ensemble shows. Um, so she couldn't really find a way to make a turn a six-person show into a large ensemble show, even though we did that for Your Good Man, Charlie Brown. She just couldn't figure out a way for this one. Um, so... I was so excited when I found that that was going to be the show because I was like, oh my God, I didn't get to do it in high school, but I might get to do it in college. And so I remember I walked in there, I walked into that audition um, after building up confidence for the past four years. And that was probably one of the best auditions I ever had. I sang um, uh, uh, What Do You Do With a B.A. in English from Avenue Q. And I, I, remember I walked in the audition feeling so good. And then I remember I looked at the callback sheet when an email came out later that night. And it said that I was called back for Chip Tolentino, which if you're familiar with the show, you'll know that that is a true blue tenor ass bitch. And I was like, <laughs> I cannot. I really want to leave Coney Bear because he was a baritone. He had a few high notes here and there. But if I had worked towards them, I could get them. Whereas Chip Tolentino, like he is screaming throughout the entire. Like, I was like, I can't do this. But, like, in my mind, I was like, oh, my goodness, like, I, I can't say that. Like, I can't, like, sit there and be like, this isn't, like, they called you back for this. Then you go back in there. You fucking do what you need to do. And I remember I was I was rehearsing 
I would like try and find places where nobody was. So I couldn't sing in the dorm because, like I said, like he was a he was a screamer. So like I would have been like waking up everybody in the dorm. So I had to like search for like quiet places on campus where no one was for me to like belt out this song. And every time I did it, I couldn't get those notes. I just couldn't do it. And I remember I I walked into the callback and I was like. And I don't know what about my audition gave them the impression that I could sing those notes. I think the highest note that I sang in my audition song was like a freaking like F, which is not that it's not that's not a tenor note. And like I remember I my like like the director was like so happy to see me. I think that he wanted to give me that part. I really think that he wanted that for me. I just felt that. And I walked into that uh, into that callback and the piano starts playing and it gets to the high note and Taryn <laughs> I sounded like I sounded like I was a cat in heat mixed with like Bailey screaming at Tyler like it was it was horrendous and I remember I remember I kept looking up because I was like I cannot look at I cannot look at the director now I cannot do this I just kept looking up and I just kept screeching through all those notes screeching and there was a bunch of other guys that were called back for the same part right outside the door so I'm like oh my god this is so like they all hear me feeling the part like yes it's mine now and I was like I remember feeling so pissed and he was like the piano stopped I stopped and the director was like um so are you okay? And I remember being like, and I remember in my mind, I was like, this is the part where you tell them now, this part is too high for me. I cannot do this. But I was like, no, there's, there's no such thing as can't in theater. You make an excuse right now. I said, I'm sorry. I have a little post nasal drip right now. Um, I, I'm, I'm, I'm just a little rusty. And so he was like, oh, okay, let's try this again. And I was like, fuck. Like, <laughs> So I do it again. It's even worse this time because I've already screamed my voice raw. And he stops me in the middle of this time. He's like, okay, I don't want you to hurt yourself. Um, all right. We're going to give you a, another part to read. And you're going to come back and you're going to read for that part. And I was like, a piece of me was like, okay, maybe it's Leaf. Maybe it's Leaf Coney Bear. But then he was like, he said, read, not sing. So it's probably someone that doesn't really have a lot of singing lines in the show. So great. I just blew my shot. And I was right. It was um, the gay father of one of the other contestants in the spelling bee, and uh, I just I, I felt so, I just I was I felt so defeated, and I was like, "Fuck!" Like I would never ever. And ironically, the best friend that I made out of college now was the guy that got got that part, and he's my roommate right now to this day, and we talk about it from time to time. And he's like, "Yeah, I'm on. You fucked up, man." I was like, "I know, I did. Like I really <laughs> wanted that part." And that that kind of that pattern kind of continued afterwards too, like. The year after our sophomore year, there was another part that the both of us were both up for, but he got it because he could hit those notes. And I know that the director wanted to give it to me, but he couldn't because I just, <laughs> just like, why you keep calling me back for parts that I cannot have? I just, uh, that was a long tangent to say that we're both singers. But <laughs> <laughs> Today's episode of The Terran Show is brought to you by RX Bar. RX Bar is a whole food protein bar made with real whole ingredients. It's very important to have whole ingredients. Now let me tell you, RX bars are literally perfect. I am going to be in New York next week and look, it can be hard. Uh, oftentimes when I'm traveling, things get a little about out of hand uh, in terms of my diet. Uh, you know, you go somewhere 
there's there, you're just you're eating whenever you can. You, there's there, you're you're going to to a, this restaurant over here. You're picking up a pizza slice over here, and the next thing you know, things aren't going too well. RX bars have really helped me when when I'm traveling here. I, I, they're perfectly suitable for travel. You just fit them in, in your bag. Uh, they come in nice little packages. They are you. You're getting like actual real food that that you're able to bring with you. It tastes good. It's it's healthy. It's nutritious. And importantly, you're able to get the like a good source of protein. It's got uh, egg white proteins, which is uh, a really easy easy to absorb protein for your body. Which again, especially when I'm traveling, uh, in order to to make sure I'm getting enough protein is uh, is very important. They come in 14 delicious flavor varieties. Uh, I'll I'll just read a couple. Mango pineapple. We're gonna ignore all the chocolate because I don't need that in my life. <laughs> Peanut butter and berries. Uh, we got uh, blueberry, maple sea salt, apple cinnamon. Oh my god. I was I'm I'm normally just a straight peanut butter guy, but uh, they uh, they've got they've got some things here. They've got some things. I've I've got to I've got to expand my horizons a little bit hearing these flavors, uh, and they have seasonal flavors too. So uh, look out for that. And if that wasn't enough, they have also debuted an RX nut butter, which contains a few simple and similar ingredients like egg whites, fruits, and nuts. Uh, but each single-serve packet contains delicious creamy nut butter with 9 grams of high-quality protein. It's squeezable and spreadable, and it pairs great with fruit, rice cakes, pretzels, or even just straight out of the pouch if you want to just pop it right into your mouth. Um, they have flavors for the nut butter. Honey, cinnamon, peanut butter? Regular peanut butter or vanilla almond butter. Uh, man, guys, uh, the Terran show went on a brief hiatus. Or, sorry, hiatus. Who knows? We'll, we'll get JC, JC on board to, to figure out how to pronounce that correctly. But the point is, RX Bar, they have stepped up their game here. They, they know what they're doing. So, if you want to take advantage of all this wonderful new stuff, uh, all of this delicious tasting, whole, wonderful nutritiousness. If you want this in your life, like I have it in my life, then here's what you need to do. Uh, you can get 25% off of your first order by going to rxbar.com slash Terran and enter the promo code Terran at checkout. It's, uh, it's look, it's it's basically like you're going to Rx Bar. And you're like, hey, yo, Taryn sent me. And they're like, oh, Taryn, that guy's cool. Let me give you a discount. And so the the way you let them know is that you go rxbar.com slash Taryn. Then you, then you enter the promo code Taryn. You have to say my name twice because if you don't say it twice, then it's like, eh. It's like, do you really know Taryn? Because if you knew Taryn, you'd know to go to rxbar.com slash Taryn and then, and then also enter the promo code Taryn. That's it's like the secret knock slash handshake that we got going on with RX Bar. So make sure you check this offer out. Thank you so much for everyone that supports this show. Uh, you know, you can you can support the show by eating delicious food, which is really like a goal of mine. Is that you can support the show and benefit yourself by eating delicious food at the same time. That's it's it's a win-win right there. How how could you possibly argue with that kind of win-win? All right. 
Without any further ado, let's get back to my conversation with Aman. Well, you know, you talked about, you know, it's it's not all it's people people get this assumption that, you know, these people, the people in in the arts that, uh, you know, th- uh, musical theater or, or musical stuff in general, they've got egos. Uh, it's the tenors. They're the ones with the egos. Yes. Yes. <laughs> like, there's, so it's like Broadway. If you listen to any contemporary Broadway shows, it's so tenor heavy. All of the, the money numbers are to the guys that can sing those high A's and G's like those. And they sound good. They do. But I, I need for somebody to write a baritone part, even a bass part. Give the basses some love. Give those nice rounded out voices. Like, cause those are the ones that hold it together. The bass is the most essential part of any piece of music. Give them their just due. Come on. Like. Um, so, uh, so you, 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 you got into this in high school. Um, did you continue through, through college? I imagine. Yep. I, uh, continued. I did it all four years of college. We did Spelling Bee freshman year. We did the Apple Tree, which is a very obscure old musical, but a very good one at that, um, sophomore year. Uh, junior year, we did Bloody Bloody Andrew Jackson. Now I had a problem with this one. Um, Drexel University, there aren't a lot of black kids that go to the school, um, and there are even fewer in the drama department. I was the only um, performer uh, of African-American descent for the entire four years that I was there. Um, Bloody Bloody Andrew Jackson is, as you can imagine, uh, a musical about the president, Andrew Jackson. It talks Mm -hmm. a lot about, you know, how he forced out a lot of the Native Americans out of the country. and I know that at the beginning of every season, um, the administration will sit down with all of the students in the program and talk about the upcoming season, about like, okay, like, do you think this is a good show to do? And I remember um, when we had, when Blade Bl- 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 Andrew Jackson came up and they were talking about doing it potentially for the next season, I remember me and one of the other students of color, he was an Asian, being like, I just feel like there really isn't any part for us. It is, it's, not, and it's not even so much that we were looking for a black or an Asian part, but... Mm a play like with this kind of subject matter, it's like it wouldn't really even make any sense for us to be there unless we're playing either a slave or it, didn't, it really doesn't even make any sense for an Asian to be there at that, at that time period, you know? Like, I mean, mm-hmm. I guess you could get away with making him pass as a Native American, um, but especially for somebody like me, there's no part in that show for me. Like, what would I be doing there? And I remember, I remember voicing that and being like, I, I don't want to sound bitter or like a, a negative Nancy, but I just... I just feel like, and I know that I'm the, I know that I'm the, I'm the minority. So I know that like the one black kid isn't, you know, the number one concern of the department. But I just have to be honest and be like, if I'm gonna, if I want to be a part of this, I gotta, you know, I have to speak my mind. They ended up doing it anyway. Um, I did not participate, and not because I didn't want to do it, um, but because I had, I had started doing acapella then, and I also had. Um, uh, Drexel University has a co-op system so like you take six months out of your school year and you go to work in your field and then you come back and that means that you have to make up that time so you go back to school um, in the spring and in the summer to make up for the time that you missed out and I remember that was my first when we did that musical that was the first time that I was back in classes for a period of six months and I was like I, I have to I have to go back to my studies I cannot put any time to doing the show so I didn't do it um, junior year but I did return for senior year and we did Little Shop of Horrors, one of my favorite shows. I really, really wanted to be Seymour, but I ended up being Audrey too, which was still fun because I got to be this big ass plant um, and sing from the uh, from this from this um, studio that was 
off the stage so I could watch the show literally every night. Um, so the, oh, I'd never done voiceover work before, so it was really, really cool. Um, but yeah, I, uh, I've been doing it pr- pretty much every year. I uh, got, after I graduated in 2017, um, the director reached out to me again, and he said, we, we want to do Avenue Q next year. We need a Gary Coleman. And since there aren't any <laughs> black kids in the department, they asked me to come back and do it, and they paid me for it. So that was the first time that I ever got to be a professionally paid actor. It was really cool, and I love Avenue Q. And Gary Coleman is such a good part. It's a funny part. Um, and so that was that was really cool. And all the kids were like, oh, my God, like, I'm on. Like, he's so talented. He got to come back and do a show. And I'm like, you guys, stop. Like, it's it's great, but, like, <laughs> it's not that much. It's not that big of a deal. And then this past year, I got to do um, a show called... Uh, oh my god, I just forgot the name of the show. Uh, title, it's called Title of Show. It's very meta. It's a musical about two guys writing a musical about two guys writing a musical about two guys <laughs> writing a musical. So it was really, really fun. Um, it was actually one of the students, um, her senior, it was her senior project, but she still paid me for it. So I got, like, for the second year in a row, I got to be a paid actor. It was very, very fun. I haven't done any, I haven't um, auditioned for anything since. Um, but, uh, yeah, it was... Theater has been such a such a an amazing thing in my life, and I've been very interested actually branching out and going into film. I would love to do that, um, but I'm I'm trying to get a rein back on my studies and figuring out what I want to do for schooling next. So I'm in a I'm in a weird weird spot right now trying to I guess I'm at a, at a crossroads. I'm trying to figure out what what exactly is my best path going forward. Now that I've been out of school for about two years. Yeah, well, what are what are the options? What are you considering? So I was pre-med um, in college, and then like right around like junior year, I kind of lost a passion for it. I also kind of went through uh, a bit of a rough patch with my mental health. I uh, kind of went through like this um, this bit of depression and a bit of a, uh, uh, I guess like I don't want to like self-diagnose myself. I don't want to you know anybody listening to this to think that I'm like some mental health professional. So take everything I say with a grain of salt. But I would I would describe it from what I've researched it as a bit of like a, a depersonalization or derealization. It was like this really weird couple of months of my senior year um, where, and I don't know what it was. Maybe it was, the, maybe, maybe it was my brain having to deal with the fact that I was about to graduate and I had no idea what the fuck I was going to do. Um, it, I kind of just felt like I was like watching a movie you know, like I felt like my life wasn't my own anymore. I felt like it was, um, I just felt like I would listen to people talking to me and it was like a, this very outer body experience. I remember, be, I remember panicking too. And I, I, I researched a lot about it and a lot of it was like, a lot of it is a, is a side effect of anxiety. So, um, it doesn't just happen on its own from what I've read. It's, 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 you know, your brain sort of is overcome with anxiety and that's kind of like a coping mechanism for it so i guess it was just like a lot of anxiety that i was going through a lot of depression um and it 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 really it really sucked like um and my my grades suffered because of it i uh i remember like i remember like never being satisfied with anything than a b um it had to be a b or up and then that kind of just like went down down and like especially when it came to the harder classes like my physics classes they were so fucking hard oh my god I remember like being like, oh well, as long as I as long as I get a D, I'm fine. And I remember I literally got a D on my physics classes and being like, are you okay with that? And I remember like having this moment of lucidity one day when I was looking at my grades. And I was like, I'm on. Like three years ago, you would be in a panic, and right now you are. You don't like you don't care. Like you are able to look at this D 
and be like, okay, well, at least I passed. And I, I remember, and that made it even worse because I was like, what has happened to me? It was like, it was, it sucked. Um, a few things helped uh, me kind of find myself again. One of them was podcasting. Uh, a, a couple of my friends and I, we were big fans of American Horror Story. We decided we were going to start a podcast about American Horror Story. It was the fifth season. We were all Lady Gaga fans. And that was the season that Lady Gaga was main cast. So I remember, I remember like having that passion for that again. And kind of, that kind of pulled me out of this, this daily lull of, uh, of this, of this depression that I was going through. And, um, also, we after American Horror Story ended, we decided to continue and started doing pop culture podcasts. And that was when I started like just getting into podcasts in general. And I had always loved Big Brother. I started watching Big Brother um, my freshman year. I was a casual fan. Even in, I started watching the feeds in sixteen, but I really didn't start really hardcore watching them until until like around eighteen. And that was right around the time of my senior year, the end of my senior year. And that's when I found. Rob has a podcast. Um, and so Rob, like listening to Rob has a podcast, listening to a bunch of other podcasts, ha- having my own podcast, basically listening to a bunch of other people talk about life, whether it be about a passion of theirs, whether it be about Big Brother or whether it be about whatever else, that really, really helps me um, because I, I began to realize that, I mean, you never really think about mental health until as a thing until you actually have to experience it. Like you always hear, I mean, I was an RA for a lot of the time. So I always had to have this special kind of mental health training about like, you know, you might have a student that will be depressed. You might have a student that might be thinking about suicide and they might reach out to you about it. So I was always well-versed in it, but I never, I never thought that I would be someone that I would have to deal with that. So um, I'm so lucky to have found another niche that was outside of theater because I don't know if, if you know one thing about depression, some of the things that, you love, you begin to not love them anymore because you're depressed. And that really sucked. And theater kind of took a backseat for me. But I guess I found podcasting and that kind of like drew me out of it. And I, ever since then, I've kind of just been like hardcore into that. Um, So I graduated um, with like thinking, you know what? Like, I don't know if medicine is for me anymore because I've spent so much time not giving it my all anymore like is it even possible for me to with the grades that i have is it possible for me to continue down this path am i smart enough for it am i mentally well to to go back to school um do i do the acting thing like i really haven't given that much uh effort to that either like i you know i was spending it was either i I put like 50 percent into both medicine and into both performing i didn't put 100 percent into both so like how am i supposed to pick up the pieces now and find a career in either or. Um, so it it was hard. Um, I decided that a year after I had spent out of school, I started working in service to support myself. Um, so I was waiting tables and I decided, I was like, okay, I'm on, like, you know that you wanna go to school for medicine. You know that. You know that you've always had a passion for, for biology. You were very, you did very well in those classes when you were mentally well. You just have to focus on building yourself back up to that. Maybe get into some therapy. Maybe it's medication that you need. Whatever it is, you need to focus on yourself. You need to to bring yourself back to that level where you can perform and function well in school. Um, and so I spent the year trying to get myself back to that point. Um, and it was hard. It's very hard, like trying to get yourself there. Um, 
And I don't think that I, I wasn't satisfied with my growth um, after that year. And so like I spent another year out. Um, I didn't apply. Um, I even lied to a couple of friends. Um, if they're listening to this, they'll, they'll find that out. <laughs> I lied to a couple of friends about um, whether or not I took the MCAT. I didn't take that fucking MCAT. I was like, I, I, I was like, yeah, I didn't get the score that I wanted. Bitch, I didn't take that MCAT. I, I was not, I was not, I was not well. <laughs> My God, like I was, I was going through it. Um, and so, yeah, I, I'm telling everybody, yeah, I'm going to go back to school. I'm going to like do this post-bac program to bring my GPA up and then I'm going to apply to, to med school. And that's still my plan. I just didn't enact on it um, when I said I was. And I was able to do theater on the side, I guess. I was working in service. Um, I was podcasting. Um, I became even more of a Big Brother fanatic. Uh, <laughs> yeah, and that's kind of that was kind of where I was for the past two years. Um, and it's been very rough because my sister has been... Um, she went to grad school. She's now working full-time as a teacher, which is exactly what she said she was going to do. Uh, I avoid talking about it with my parents, which kind of makes me feel a little bit bad because I feel like I'm like the black sheep of the family now because I don't speak too much to my family as much as I should because I don't want to talk about school. Um, and so it's, it's been, it's been rough. I'm definitely on the up and up now. I feel like I'm in a place now where I'm, I'm able to think rationally about like not putting too much pressure on myself to do something that I don't want to do. And I think I finally made the realization that medicine is still a path for me. It's just that being a physician probably isn't what I'm going to do now. I think I'm more along the lines of nursing and maybe physician assistant. So I've been looking into those kind of programs a lot more now. Um, and I still want to perform. Uh, and I still want to be on Big Brother so fucking bad. So <laughs> I'm putting a lot of energy into those two things. But as far as like professionally speaking, I'm, I think that I finally reached a place where I'm like, you know what? Like, I'm on, like, it's okay. Like, you don't have to keep up the charade of being the first doctor in your family. Like, you can do other things and your, your, your family will, will love you for that. And I'm, I'm accepting that for myself. I'm trying to, to, to love myself a bit more, to give myself the, the compassion that I deserve to not put so much pressure and hate myself for not doing the things that I said that I was originally going to do because life, you know, it changes. It's not, it's not concrete. Things will change. So that's kind yeah. of where I am now. Where, where, so where did the idea to become a doctor come from? Like, was that a goal that you had in mind for a long time? Like, because it sounds like, you know, you eventually started to like, it sounds like you were very, very set on it for a while, and then you kind of found in the middle of it, like, wait a minute, why am I here? Did you, did you so like, why were you there? What what caused that to uh, to to happen? I was always, I'm, I remember in high school we took three sciences. It was biology, organic, or just chemistry rather, and physics. And I remember just being so. I love biology. I love it. I love learning about um, the human body. I love learning about how life came to be. I just, I, I loved it. And I was looking into a lot of uh, careers for biologists, and one of them was becoming a doctor. And I was like, huh, I never actually thought about being a doctor. My grandma is a, um, she's a surgical, surgical technologist, which is basically like a fancy word for a nurse that handles all of the appliances in um, an OR. Like, she's the one that, like, knows, like, she knows what kind of surgery needs what, and she lays all that out. Um, and so I, I kind of always had like a small interest in the healthcare field, but I think like right around the end of my senior year, um, and right around the beginning of my, uh, college career is when I was like, you know what, like, 
I could do this. Because originally I got into Drexel for a psychology, psychology degree. I was like, I'll do the psychology thing, but I'm mostly going to focus on the acting. Um, but then I was like, you know what? Like, I'm on, are you doing this because you th- think that you're not smart enough to be a doctor? And then I think that was what was, that's what did it for me. I was like, you know what? I'm on, you're like, you're smart. You may not be the smartest guy in the room, but you can do this. You can, you can be a fucking doctor if you want to be a doctor. And I entered freshman year and I fucking killed it. I went through those classes. I didn't, I didn't, you know, kill everything, but I was like, I'm on, like, you, you could do this. Like, if you stay on this track, you could very well get into medical school one day and be a surgeon or be a psychiatrist or, be uh, an OBGYN or, or, or neonatologist. I was really interested in like babies. I wanted to work with kids. Um, so that's where that came from. And like when I, and I, I met other kids that had like wanted this for such a long time. Like this is like what they decided to do when they were like in elementary school. And that inspired me even more. I was like, I had study groups with people and people were telling me like about all these kinds of fields of medicine that I had never even thought about before. And I was like, this is amazing. Like it was, it was kind of sort of, it was, it was akin to, um, to the feeling that I got when I was on stage, but just a little watered down because it wasn't like a number one passion, but it was still, it was continuous with that emotion. And I remember just being like, damn, like, okay, okay, I'm on, you want me to talk to Okay. Like, and that's, that's kind of, that's where that came from. Um, and then I, it kind of went away after a while. Um, and I don't know. I, I don't know if I can chalk it all up to just, you know, the mental health issues that I was experiencing or maybe just the realization that um, my grades had depleted. So like now I, I'm not, it's a kind of like what came first, the chicken or the egg? Was it the grades? Was it the mental health? Was it the passions for other things? I don't know. I think it was a culmination of them all that kind of just took me out of it and was like, you know what? Like, you don't have to do this if you don't want to do this. You may have wanted it before. Um, you may have felt pressure to do it before. But if if it's not calling you anymore, Mon, then it's not calling you. And, and a lot of it was guilt because I spent so much money on that degree. Um, mm-hmm. and I'm, I'm, I'm in debt and I'll be in debt for a long time. I've accepted that. I knew that going into it. So I don't, I don't, I don't like to have regret about it. I don't like to, I don't like to focus on that because it, it, it'll drive you insane. It'll, it'll, I cannot just sit here and think about college debt all day long because it, it is what it is. Um, but that, that was a lot to do with it. It was like, I'm on like, how are you ever going to pay these loans back if you can't fucking figure out what it is that you're trying to do? And so I was like, I have to do medicine because that's going, that's the only thing I can think of right now that I, like that's the that's the degree that I have. It pays well. I'll probably be able to pay off my loans with it. Like that's what I have to do it. And I'm reaching the realization that's like, okay, yeah, sure. But if there's something else that you can do and you'd be happier and you can still pay your loans, do that. Don't do the medicine if that's not don't be a physician if that's not what you want to do anymore. So I'm I'm trying to I'm wrestling with that right now, currently. Yeah, the the loans are uh, they're a scary thing. They really, uh, I, I I definitely um, when I was in it really it puts a pressure on you that I think shouldn't. It's it's the worst time to have a pressure on you because this is the time that you're trying to figure out what to do with your life, right. and you should be able to ex- like experiment and try certain things out and feel like uh, like I'm not throwing down you know two hundred thousand uh, dollars to to see if I like this. Uh, you know what I mean? Right. Like uh, so it's you know it's uh, it's it can be pretty uh, pretty pretty terrifying, um, but. You know, really, uh, for me, like the only the only thing I I could do was just move forward and and do my best to 
I don't know. Uh, it's, it's really just like uh, you just try to ignore the fact that you're in deep in debt. Yes, yeah. that is yeah. my strategy. It's 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 rough, and I mean, and you're right. Like I don't. You're like you're 18 when you have to make this decision. Like, mm-hmm. and not only just about the money of it all, but just about what you want to do with your life. And yeah, there are people that that have known what they wanted to do and they've succeeded in that. Like, so it's not everybody, but there are a large group of people that. They they don't they don't know and they feel pressured into making this decision, and then years down the line it's like fuck like I put all this time and effort and money into this and this isn't what I want to do and now I I'm not I'm stuck and it's not it's not people don't always have the luxury of just starting over not everybody can just mm-hmm. like you know and even like even when it comes down to loans like people not everybody can just have the luxury of just signing up for another loan you know what I mean like. For some people, that's one and done, and that's it. Like, so if you're gonna pay, you're gonna pay for it, and that's and that's it. So like, I'm I'm fortunate enough, and I am deep in debt, but I am fortunate enough to uh, I lived with my with my uh, with my uh, cousin for an entire year outside of school, so I didn't have to worry about rent or anything. So I was able to put the majority of my income into paying down my loans. I was lucky in that respect, but not everybody has that. I haven't had to move home yet because that year outside of um, college living with my cousin helped me to save up. So now I'm able to pay rent um, with my friends and I'm still able to live in Philly and, and, you know, still and still work and pay down my loans and pay down other bills and even have some fun on the side. Like I'm, I'm still not where I want to be financially. And I probably, I probably won't be where I want to be financially for a while until I figure out what it is that I'm trying to do. But at least I have the luxury of having the time to figure it out, and people don't have that. So my heart really goes out to the people that are are are, that are having a similar, if not worse, struggle because it sucks. Like that's, and I wish that I could have like this <laughs> this life guru advice to tell you what you should do. But damn, like it's like you, I don't know what to do. So it's 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 really rough, and I, I wish I wish that there was a, a better way for us to push our youth in a direction where they are able to make choices with a bit more time, um, and a bit more a bit more knowledge and a bit more resources, because it's not it's not a you know it's it's not a flighty decision. It's, this is something that can affect and probably will affect the rest of your life. So, so yeah, I I, yeah. I sympathize with that. Where did you what did you what did you go to school for? So I went I went to school uh wanting to be a writer. Um I wanted to write screenplays, write movies, TV shows, that kind of sort of the sort of thing. Um and uh cuz it was really just like if I could do like I loved I loved movies, I loved shows. If I could do anything, I'd want to write them. I I'd, I'd written some stories uh, on my own um, that I and I really enjoyed doing it. And so I was like, oh, let me go be a writer. And there was this pressure, especially that first year where I was like, uh, I was I was like, this, what am I doing here? I'm you know I was taking writing classes and I was like, I don't like this. Um, <laughs> like, uh, this is not what I thought it was. And and all every single one of these people who has worked in the industry is like, yeah. Um, uh, about less than one percent of the writers that come through here will may be able to make a living off of writing, and I was like, "Huh, that's that's great. great. That's great odds." Awesome. Uh, so, uh, so yeah, it's 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 so, it's so much pressure, and and I think the the only like because I don't know if I even dealt with it in the correct way, but the only thing that I I can even say to anyone is that um, for me, I think that I think that the bigger mistake is to 
let the pressure get to you and let that affect the decisions that you make moving forward. I think you just you have to just try and push through and follow your passion and and go for the things that you think are going to make you the happiest more so than the things that you feel like, well, the pressure is getting to me and it's that that the pressure is saying that I need to do this because I think in the long run you'll be able to look back and say, okay, yes, you know, following my passions led me to being in debt for longer and, and all of this stuff. But at the end of the day, if if you're doing something that you're passionate about and in debt, I feel like that's probably better than, um, you know, making a decision out of pressure and then feeling like you, you have that sunk cost fallacy. And now all of a sudden you're doing something that you you don't love or that you might even like dislike. And you're probably also in debt um, and uh, maybe just a little bit less so. Uh, so it's like I, I and, and, you know, it's obviously it's a hard it's a hard decision. It's very unique to each person. But um, for me, that's that's what I tried to do. And I, I feel like, uh, you know, I, I'm not necessarily out of the weeds yet. But, um, you know, it's uh, that's that's the decision I made at the very least. We'll see how it turns out. If I if it turns out uh, I, I become a complete failure, then uh, you'll know to do the opposite. <laughs> <laughs> so do you, do you still want to write at all or, or do you discover new passions? Or like, I, mean, I know that you're doing the podcasting thing now is that something that you want to continue to do and do on a larger scale or <clears throat> yeah i mean the, the second i started podcasting I, I fell in love with it i mean in, in the same way that like i fell in love with editing when i was in college um but uh but the podcasting even more so uh i'd still love to write like it's but it's not something that that calls to me in the way that it did before and part of that is is the my change in mentality because well, one of the things that I discovered was that as I got happier, I became less creative. Because, <laughs> hmm. um, so, like, the driving force of my creativity was my misery. Um, yeah. Uh, like, I needed some way to express that. Um, and I don't feel that need anymore. Um, That's very so, true. That's very true. Yeah. <laughs> Which, I, you know, isn't the case for everyone necessarily. And I, and I do, I, I don't like the, like, I need to create pain for myself so that I can write or, you know, whatever. <laughs> like, I think that's unhealthy. I don't think you should do that. Um, but, uh, but they're just like the passion kind of left me a little bit. Um, and so, you know, I, I just really, uh, I, 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 I love this. I love what I'm doing. And, you know, uh, I just, um, I would love to continue to, to do this sort of thing. And you know, it's, I, I really just, the second I started podcasting, I fell in love with this whole concept of, you know, I have already loved big brother. That's always been a passion of mine. Um, and now like just the, the platform and, and doing this, this podcast where I get to talk to people and have these kinds of conversations. And, um, and I, there are all kinds of other things that I would, you know, that I would love to do if, uh, if I had the, the time and, you know, if I was successful enough, um, and I never, I never thought I would be able to do this kind of thing. So, cause like podcasting never feels like work to me. It feels like, it feels like what I would have been doing as a kid. It feels like an extension of like me yelling at my friends about Big Brother or <laughs> me yelling at my friends about this TV show or whatever the thing that I'm passionate about is or me trying to go into deep conversations with my friends about the, their lives and their feelings. Um, like it's all just an extension of who I am and it doesn't even feel like, oh, I'm doing this for a job. Well, that's 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 awesome. I mean, it definitely shows because I uh, I think that yeah, I mean, you can always. I love when I see people that are uh, 
passionate about what they do because it, it, it really radiates, radiates off of them. And I, I, I get that sense um, from you and from, uh, the, uh, and from Brent and from a lot of the correspondents that I see on the show like, that, that really enjoy it. Because I, I enjoy podcasting a lot, too, and I'm, uh, I'm happy to have found it in a sense. Um, it's, uh, it's definitely... I mean, it's, it's, at, at its very core, it's, it's, it's communication. It's, and it's often talking about real things. Like, sure, you have, like, some shows out there that are just about fluff and stuff, but, <laughs> fluff and stuff, but um, <laughs> it's, it's, it's really about communication and nuance and difference in interpretation and um, whatever topic that you're talking about, whether it be Big Brother, whether it be about uh, religion, whether it be about sex, whether it be, whatever it is, it's just, it's, I, I, I think it's a very cool tool. And I'm, I'm glad that, um, we're sort of like in this zeitgeist because podcasting has been around for like quite a while. I think the first podcast ever recorded was like, what was it? 2005. I think I read that somewhere. So it's been around for quite a while. Um, uh, but we're, we seem to be in this, this resurgence right now where a lot of shows are just cranking out a lot of celebrities are getting into a lot of celebrities host their own shows now um because people people i think now more than ever there's so much this like this country is is like in such a cacophonous state right now everybody's yelling and Mm. screaming at each other i think that people really enjoy like a balanced and singular perspective right now i think people just want to they just want to hear one set of thoughts even if they don't necessarily agree with them they just want to hear one set of thoughts and 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 listen to that and feel like they have control over the things that um are invading their spaces and uh so yeah I, kudos to you i'm happy for you i'm i'm glad that this is something that uh that you've that you that you found as a passion that you don't feel like that you're you're working for it and uh i uh, i don't know i i wonder if i should continue um do you, do you want to talk about Big Brother a bit? Sure. So I um I don't think that I can get in trouble for this now because it's all said and done. The season's over. Um, so I I I have been contemplating uh like really 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 g- getting deeper into the Big Brother uh podcasting world, whether that be continuing to work with Rob as a podcast or uh continuing to just uh, or, or to make my own. I don't think I really want to make my own either uh, anymore, though. But um, I, 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 as some of you know, like I've been very, very like prolific in terms of my Twitter and just like commentary on the game itself. Um, and everybody knows that I really want to be a part of the show. Uh, and I, I, oh my god, I really want to be part of the show. I actually got a callback for BB Twenty. Um, obviously, did not get on. <laughs> But um, I did uh, get a callback. Um, I can't really speak too much about it because I mean I think that it's still not allowed. But I, I, I don't. I'm allowed to say that I got a callback. Um, didn't make it. Um, but in a piece of me is like scared that if I continue down this road of being so prolific on Twitter or whatever, or um, that. If that might hurt my chances, I don't know. I don't really know how casting works. I could just be talking out of my mm-hmm. ass right now. I really don't know. Um, but a piece of me is like, oh, like I want to continue to podcast and I want to continue to talk about it, but I don't want, I don't want, you know, I don't want to just be seen as this person that is a as a commentator and can never play. And I don't. Mm-hmm. So it's 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 very scary because I it's it's something that I really 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 want. 
Um, and I don't know. Do you ever feel that way? I don't know if you, I guess I, have you ever wanted to be on the show or do you feel like it's something that, that, uh, that could hurt if it's something that you wanted for yourself? You know, I, I've never, I've always wanted to play the game, but I've never, I've never had the passion to be on the show. Um, like, uh, cause I love the game. I don't love the show, if that makes sense. Um, so, you know, it's, it's never something that I've really heavily considered. It's, and I've talked before about like, I, I would honestly sooner do Survivor, even though I love Big Brother a lot more. Um, just cause practically, I think it works out better for me in a lot of ways. Uh, but, um, but so, yeah, it's not it's not really something I'm I'm particularly concerned about. But I know that, you know, there are a lot of people uh, who who talk about it, who are who have who have the same, you know, worries where it's like, uh, like I mean, like Brent, like Brent would love to be on the show. But uh, it's like, d- does he talk about the fact that he does podcasts about it? Like, you know, should he bring that up or should he, you know, not talk about it? Like it's it's uh, it would be great um, if I ever talk to uh, Robin Cass, I'll uh, I'll ask her. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that'd be a would be a fun question <laughs> because I mean it's definitely something I worry about sometimes, and not to say that I don't appreciate all of the the kind words that I get on Twitter, and I, I love that I, I, it makes me feel so it, it really warms my heart that people have um, taken a liking to the things that I have to say um, and to me as a person, but. The f- I can only imagine that Robin probably gets pissed off because so many people will tag her in all yeah. of my tweets <laughs> all the time. And like, if anybody that's listening that does that, I don't, I'm not yelling at you, but I would just ask that you stop <laughs> because, and a piece of me is like, okay, well, I'm on, just stop tweeting. But I'm like, I don't want to stop tweeting. I want to keep talking about the show. I just want to be able to, to talk without people always. <laughs> Yeah, no, and like, uh, I mean, Robin does strike me as the kind of person that might be a little bit like, uh, hey, don't tell me how to do my job. Right. No, she definitely is because people are continuously telling her how to do her job every, and like, you can, I mean, for the most part, I think that she just, I mean, she's she's a tough lady. She, that shit rolls off her back. But I do Mm -hmm. think that there are times, like I see sometimes where she'll respond to some foolishness on Twitter and you can visibly see it's like. She's like, she gets a little bit fed up. She's like, okay, bitch. Like, like sometimes she has those sarcastic responses where she's like, all right, well, thanks for watching. Like, you know, like, like, leave that woman alone, y'all. Like, she's, she's doing what she does. And like, you are all going to continue to watch the show. This has been one of the best seasons in years. And Robin Cass casted the show. So like, you know, it's, you know, whether or not you like the people on the show is, you know, really, that's not something that anybody can really control. All... All casting people can do is, you know, find the best people that can fit together the best and they go through with that and it is what it is. But I just, uh, I don't know. I don't know. Sometimes I'm like, I, I need to stop. I need to stop tweeting. I do. <laughs> if yeah, I ever well, have I, any shot of getting on the show, I really should probably stop tweeting. Well, I mean, you never know. I think that um, I think that it also could be a good thing. I mean, it's it really it's like I said, I, I'll uh, someday I'll talk to Robin Cass and get a definitive answer there um, uh, one way or another, hopefully. But uh, but yeah, I mean, it's, it sounds like, like you definitely have a, a passion to uh, be be on the show. Um, like where like where do you think? that that takes you like what is what is the goal if you uh if you go on the show i'm gonna get real real quick um i have never uh come out to my family ever 
it's sort of like sort of like one of those things um where you like where, like moms always know but dad knows like they know it's an unspoken kind of thing um but i've never done it formally um i love big brother so much so fucking much and i want to play first and foremost i want to play the game i want to prove to myself that i can First, I want to prove that I can be the per, the per, the not be the first person to go home. Then I want to prove that I can make it to jury. Then I want to prove that I can make it to Zingbot. Then I want to prove that I can make it to finale. Then I want to prove that I can win the game. I just see it. I see it in my soul. I see it in my feel it in my bones, Taryn. I feel it. Um, so that that's first and foremost. Secondly, what I love the most about the show is the fact that it's live. Is the fact that you can view these people twenty four seven. Is the fact that eventually they forget that they're on a show and they converse and they build relationships and they talk. And in a way, even though they're playing a game for big for for five hundred thousand dollars and they have to sort of um, be covert in certain you know areas of their game, I think that for the most part, people go on that show and are themselves and are very honest. And it's a I think it's a very liberating and freeing experience. And one of the things that I always said that I would do is I would come out on national television. <laughs> I've never said that like in any casting thing that I've done. And all the times that I've been on, like been to like a, uh, an open call or sent in a video, I've never said that because that's not like the major draw for me, but it is something that I think about a lot. Cause it's like, I remember I, I was, I, I also a couple of years back, I got a call back for survivor as well. And I remember uh, one of the casting producers asking me, Hey, so like, have you ever, do your parents know? And I was like, yeah, they don't know. She's like, well, are you sure that this is something that you want to do? Because you, like, you're going to have to be raw on Survivor. Like, you can't really hide that kind of thing on the show. Like, how are you going to reconcile that? And I never really thought too much about it. And after a couple of years of thinking about it, I was like, you know what? That is something that I think that I would want to do. I think that, I mean, granted, if it doesn't happen first, because it all, it, it could always, I'm not saying I'm going to wait until I get on Big Brother <laughs> to have this conversation. I'm not, no, that's not going to happen. But I'm saying in the event that it hadn't happened before I, I, I get on the show, that's something that I would do. And I think, because I, I would want, I would want to go into that house and be as authentic to myself as possible. So that's sort of that's it's it's it's, a, it's another driving force as to why I want to be on the show. It's not the only one, but it's something that I've thought about recently. Yeah, is it something that you like? Do do you go out of your way to avoid coming out to them, or is it something that like at this point, at the very least, like it's just it it never really gets brought up? Yeah, I mean, it's it's still a bit of an avoidance thing. Imani knows. I recently came out to her maybe about three months ago, actually. Um, <laughs> one of the first things she said was "duh," so she. Knows. <laughs> so I mean, I know, I know that they know. I, they, they, I like they're they're not stupid, you know. Mm-hmm. Um. Uh, but I just, I mean, it's just one of those things where you know you got to worry about what people are gonna think. You got to worry about like them kind of having to adjust to it because it's one thing for them to know. It's one thing for me to actually for to actually become tangible. So it's going to be an adjustment. Um. Because, you know, once I say that, then it's like, okay, then you have to worry about, like, who I'm with, you know, who I'm potentially going to marry. Am I going to have kids? Like, it's like a whole thing for gay people to have to have that kind of conversation over Mm -hmm. and over. Because, like, one thing that people don't realize is, like, once you come out, you don't ever stop coming out. You come out. Maybe my experience may be different, but I feel like once you come out, you do it over and over and over and over again. Like, it's it's a a thing in your life, even though it really shouldn't be. At this point in history, it's a thing. 
Um, so that's, that's something that I don't want to have to do because once I do it with my parents and I have to do it with my aunts and my uncles, like it's just a whole thing. <laughs> mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, I, it's getting harder and harder as you get older because it, it becomes more and more a part of who I am as a person. Um, so I know that eventually it will happen. I, um, I just, uh, I just, I don't know. I guess I'm just not ready for it yet, I guess. Yeah, I, I mean, do, they could you... very well find out now that I've said it on the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> maybe, sub, maybe subconsciously, this is me saying it to them. Maybe they'll find it somehow. I mean, I, I doubt it unless someone tries to find them. <laughs> unless somebody <laughs> from the Terran show is like, I'm going to come out. To... Like, but I don't think anybody would do that. And even if they did, oh well. But um, what were you going to say? <laughs> um, well, do, do, I mean, do you think that uh, do you think that they will react uh, uh, poorly or, or, or uh, you know, do they do, like what do they have uh, like views on on, on the, the subjects that, that you're that you're worried about in any way? Um, I, I mean, I think that it's a similar experience to a lot of LGBT people with their parents like. Mm-hmm. it's it's just I, I they love me i know that they would never disown me they would never like i know that but i just what the the anxiety for me is just the adjustment of it all having yeah. to realize because it's i mean it's for them but it's also for myself now i'm opening myself up to a lot more conversations that i've never had to have before growing up i mean i didn't i mean i had a few crushes on girls back then um but i never like, even then, i never really spoke with my parents about it you know so I've never really had that sort of emotional connection with my parents on that level where it's when I talk about dating, where I talk about falling in love. I've never had that. So now on mm-hmm. top of having to get that hurdle, not to talk about, oh, by the way, it's with a guy. Like, so it's, that's where the anxiety comes from. And that's where, because I don't want them, I don't want them to feel uncomfortable. But at the, at the same time, it's like, Amon, it's not about them. It's about you. You have, it's your life. Um, mm-hmm. But I, it's the Pisces in me. I'm self-sacrificial. I, I I worry more about how other people are going to feel about you know about a situation than I do about myself. And I, I have to learn. I, I have to learn out of that. I have to. I have to teach myself to put myself first. And I'm I'm working with it. I'm working with it. Like uh, I admire so many people that are able to live freely. I admire people like Brent so much. Um, like getting to know him through this podcasting thing over the past couple of years has been really eye-opening and the people in my life that are, that are open um, uh, and not even just about, you know, their sexuality, but just about anything. People that are openly following their dreams, people that are openly talking about their struggles, people that are just open. I'm, I, mm. That is, that's something that I want for myself so bad and I'm not all the way there yet and I'm working towards it. Um, and I think maybe, maybe that's also the reason why I'm so, why I love, big brother and talking so much with people on social media about it because i feel like i've always been able to kind of be myself in a way and i feel like this is like a a pattern for me like i find it i find a niche in in elementary school it was you know i didn't really have to find anything because i was still kind of figuring things out and then middle school high school was definitely theater college it was podcasting now it's twitter and big brother like I, i i continuously find these things where i'm able to be open and i just it's work. It's like you know, I'm working my way up to just being like, okay, here, bitch, this is me. Like, <laughs> this is what it is. Like, you either you either love it or you hate it. I don't know what you want. Me, I don't know what you want from me, but 
this is what it is yeah uh, and th- there's something i think that uh that's very very freeing about that and it's something that i definitely admire a lot uh in in brent um because you know it's he's just uh brent he's gonna be who he is and even when i think he's being a, a, a total uh wrong idiot about things uh <laughs> that's that's just brent being brent i guess i could i could i could uh hear your brain searching for the for the words wrong idiot <laughs> Um, but, but, and I hear you too about like, it's, it's, I mean, this is, this is, you know, beating a dead horse for sure. But like, it's, it's, it's so annoying that like you even, you have to come out to your, like, I can, I can't imagine going to my parents and being like uh even even without the social context of it being like hey guys i'm straight like that's a super weird conversation to have why would i even like need to say that you know what i mean yeah it's and i mean and so much shame is wrapped up in it and you know like societal implications and then religious mm. implications as well like i mean there's and there's still a piece of me and I don't mean to offend anybody when I say this, but there is a piece of me. I'm just being raw and as real as I can be. There's a piece of me because I've been so, uh, it's like religion has sort of been braided into my life. But there's a piece of me that there's so so shameful about it because there's a piece of me that still thinks that it's wrong. And I know, Mm -hmm. and I, I have to consciously do the work every time that those feelings arise to tell myself, Amon, come on, that's not true. You know, that's not true. You know, in your heart, that you did not do this to yourself. You did not make this a choice. You did not, you did not wake up today and be like, I, you know, I am, I'm going to be gay. Like that does not happen. That's just not how it works. Um, But it's, it's, but that within itself is debilitating, you know, to have to do that. So Mm -hmm. um, it's, it's hard. Um, I'm thankful that I'm in a place now where I'm able to admit that to myself because before it was, Nope, can't do that. Nope, you got, yep, you're wrong. Nope, you're, you're you're like you're going to hell. With this, that, and the third. Like, and then being black on top of all of that, being a black gay man on top of all that's like, oh my god, it's like a fucking trifecta of bullshit. Like, yeah. um, so it's um, I'm it's I'm working. It's a it's it's something that you have to work towards every day. Um, and I'm just I'm happy that I'm in a place now where I feel like I'm able to do that work. Um. And I don't know if I'll ever, ever, ever 100% be okay with who I am as a person. I don't know if anybody ever really is. Um, but at least I know that I'm not alone in it anymore. At least, um, at least I know that I can, that I have enough agency in myself to pick myself up from those dark places that I'm, I'm working on the tools um, and the coping mechanisms to to make sure that I am well enough to to continue on and to continue this fight. Um, so it's it's a struggle, but I'm I'm working it. I'm working through it. Yeah, I mean, I I I, I can't even imagine like feeling feeling shame about who you are, and then not only feeling shame about who you are, but then feeling shame about the fact that you feel shame about who you are because you know you're not supposed to feel shame but you do and then so then you have to admit that yeah i feel shame about my shame uh and which is just another uh, like there's so many hoops that you have to jump through um and uh it sucks it it does it's it's so stupid when you think about it like i keep thinking about like i'm on like what are you gonna feel like when you're like 50 years or no 50 years from now even like when i'm like in my 70s god willing i make it that far um 
And, like, I'm thinking about all of the shit that I was so hung up on. Like, I can only imagine just how much more accepted it'll be in in 50 years. I'm mm. going to be thinking, like, Amon, like, oh, my God, you wasted so much time. Like, ugh. Yeah. Like, and, like, and, yeah, like, I, I, I want to grab that perspective. I want to hold on to that perspective. But that doesn't make it any easier, you know? Like, it, it's just, but um, but it's still something to look forward to. The future is... And that's, I think that's what keeps a lot of people going for whatever struggle it is. Just remember that it, it, oh, I'm going to get emotional a bit. Oh, just remember that it does get better because, mm-hmm. you know, it just, just keep fighting. Just don't allow yourself to, don't be your own worst enemy because the world's going to do that for you as it is. So as long mm-hmm. as you find something, just find something within yourself that, can allow you to love yourself enough to to shield yourself from the hatred and the rejection that the world will give you. Uh, once you find that self worth, it is the best feeling in the world. I don't I don't care how you how you get there, whether it be finding your passion, uh, whether it be finding someone else, um, whatever it is, just get there, get there, find that, hold on to it because. No one can take that away from you. No one can. It's it's yours. It's yours, and that and that will help you. That will help you push through this bullshit. It'll help you get to the point where you can be a person to be like, fuck it. Like, I have this, and that's all I need. So, oh man, I'm I'm working. I'm working towards that, and I I'm, I I feel it on the horizon. I see it. I see it. <laughs> so I'm I'm hoping that I. I I'm hoping that if anybody takes anything away from what we've been talking about, I'm hoping that that's like, that's been like the mantra that I've been trying to follow for the past couple of years. And it's a, it's a hard, it's a hard fight to, to win, but I think that I'm winning. I hope that I'm winning. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it, it sounds like, it sounds like you're on the right path. I mean, that's, uh, you, I mean, you're, you're echoing things that, that, that I mean, the, the, that I believe as well. And, and it's like, it's, it's what, it's what got me out of my own, you know, misery when I was, when I was younger. Um, you know, it's a, a very different kind of, uh, fight. It comes down to like accepting yourself and, um, it's really is the most important thing. And, and it, nobody can really do it for you. Um, which sucks because I want to just be like, come on, I love you. Like, you're amazing. Like <laughs> you, you just, you, you should, you should be able to see that. And, uh, and obviously you do, um, in, in, in plenty of ways, but, uh, but you know, it, it is really, it's a battle that you have to win with yourself and it's a battle that everybody has to win with themselves. And, and, uh, unfortunately some people have much more difficult struggle, like the much more difficult obstacles to overcome. But, uh, I'm really glad to hear how, uh, how aware you are of of the path that you need to take, um, because I think that's a really a really good sign. And uh, you 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 really are a very uh, emotionally aware person, um, and uh, and I think that uh, I think that's that goes a long way. Oh, thank you, Taryn. I appreciate it. I uh, man, I can't believe I'm sitting over here fucking crying. <laughs> <laughs> hey, you're gonna get me going. <laughs> You said something, um, cause you said, yeah, it's a battle with yourself. I remember, I think it was you that said it on the podcast before. And in that, um, Big Brother, I love how it all comes back to Big Brother. Like, Big Brother's like our fucking oh, yeah. Jerusalem. Um, exactly. Um, I think you said something along the lines of, uh, it, Big Brother really is 
uh, like a, a battle of like self control and like how well you're able to to handle yourself in the situation mm-hmm. and not so much how you handle other people. And I was, I was like, yeah, like I I see that because you see time and time again people blow their own games up because of something that they did, not because you know. They were they were playing the game so well that everybody else caught on to it was usually because they could not surmount themselves. And um that's that's life. That is that's literally life. You have to be able to um you can be your own worst enemy, and as soon as you learn how to get out of your own way, that is when the things come to you. Because most of the time you are blocking your own blessings. There's that saying that says one one door closes, the other one opens. And I'm like, well, bitch, yes. But a lot of the time, that one door closed because you closed it, and then you have your foot up against the other one. So, like, <laughs> don't do that to yourself. Mm-hmm. Allow, yeah. allow, you know, allow yourself to, to, to be open to as many experiences as possible because they all have something to offer, and they all help you learn something about yourself, and they all help you grow as a person. And as long as you keep doing that, you should be fine. So. Yeah, I mean, you will never have a, a greater ally in your life than yourself. Um, and you will also never have a more dangerous adversary. Yep. It's really, it's really it. Um, Aman, this has been, this has been wonderful. Thank you so much for, uh, for joining me. Thank you, Taryn. This is, this is great. I, I was like really self-conscious. I was like, I really don't know what to talk about, (laughs) but, uh, I think, uh, I think this was a very well-needed therapy session for me. So <laughs> I appreciate it. So I'm, I'm yeah. Well, thank you so much for for being so open and and willing to to talk about all this. You know, it's uh, like I said, everybody has uh, has something of value to bring, and uh, and you had you had a lot to bring. So uh, thank you so much. Thank you once again for asking me to come along, and thank you to whoever has been sitting here listening to me rant for the past like <laughs> I don't even know what two hours or so. Uh, because I know I can talk a mile a minute. So if you survive through all of that, I I appreciate that as well. <laughs> yes. Well, uh, yes. Thank you. Thank you to all of the listeners for your patience in uh, in waiting for the return of the Terran show. I hope you uh, I hope you enjoyed this episode. Uh, I know I know I found it to be uh, particularly of value myself. So hopefully you do as well. Um, and, uh, and, and just thank you, uh, for being the loyal listeners that are still sticking around, even though we took a brief yatus. Um, <laughs> so, uh, <laughs> Uh, I, I will, uh, you can, you can subscribe to the podcast on iTunes and wherever you get your podcasts. Um, and, uh, you can, you can reach us on, on Twitter. You can find me at Armstrong Taren. I'm on. You can find me at Amon Adwin. That's A-D-W-I-N. Yeah. Just don't tweet at Robin. <laughs> Please do not tweet at Robin. Guess. Please stop tagging her on my tweet. <laughs> <laughs> Um, I mean, I mean, speaking of like, did you, uh, did you relate a lot to JC watching like his story in the house, you know, being, cause he essentially hadn't come out to, um, you know, a lot of his family, uh, going into the, into the show. Did you, did you particularly like find that to be like, wow, like I'm, I'm feeling you right now. Yeah, definitely. I was actually disappointed in a few people on Twitter that, uh, were like, even after that, they were like, you know, no, y'all going to forgive him now. He was still saying the N-word. He was still touching people. Da, 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 da. And I'm like, yeah, that does not absolve any of that. I'm just saying that in that particular moment, I had I, ha- I had a connection. I had a connection mm-hmm. with him, and I, I felt that pain. I Like, for your own family not to be there, for you to, you know. And having friends is great. Having friends is it's an invaluable experience. Um, 
but you also want that love from the people that are, you know, that brought you here into this world that you're, you wouldn't be here if it weren't for them and for them not to, to support you in every way imaginable. That's, that sucks. I mean, I think I'm a little bit better. I don't think my experience is identical to his, but I definitely, uh, I definitely understand where he was coming from. And, uh, I hope, I hope that maybe his experience on the show might be a bit of a, of an icebreaker, um, for a deeper mm-hmm. conversation for him and his family, because, you know, no one should have to feel that way. No one should have to feel like they're never enough for their own family. So I'm praying for you, JC. I wish the best for you. Yeah. And, and I feel like we should value the moments where we're able to connect to somebody like, like that, like we should treasure that and not be like, no, we have to shut it out because of other things, right. you know, like, like that, those, those, that's what makes the world a better place is the empathy that's involved in that sort of situation. So, um, I'm, I'm, I'm with you there. Right. I just, yeah. I mean, I, yeah. Like, I mean, not everything has to, and we're, I mean, we're, li- once again, we're living in a state of like outrage culture and like, I get it. Like there are some fucked up things that happen in this world that people say to, to each other that people do to each other like and those are always going to be fucked up no one's ever going to say that that was not fucked up but in the moments where you are able to bridge a gap in the moments where you are able to find that common link why do everything in your power to disregard that because yeah i mean because at that point then nothing nothing you 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 break you break the charm right there you know you, you you don't there's no more connection there's no more there's no more understanding there's just your way and there's my way and we're both going to convince ourselves that we're right and then like then then where do you go you know like you got to talk to each other y'all like we just have to i know that there are people there are some shit that is like unforgivable i'm not saying you have to forgive everything i'm just saying that you have to at least be willing to have the conversation if you can't do that then there's no point there's no point in complaining yeah I, I, I can't stop talking to you, Mon. <laughs> uh, thanks, thanks again so much for uh, for doing this, um, and uh, and thank you again to the listeners. Uh, hope you guys enjoyed it, and I will of course see you next time. Terrence asking questions. Terrence finding out. Terrence looking deeper. That's what it's all about. It's the Terrence Show, so you